Chapter Seven of Marie Antoinette and Her Son. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maggie Travers. Marie Antoinette and Her Son by Louise Malbach. Chapter Seven: The Bad Omen. The day was drawing to a close. That endlessly long day that 31st of August, 1786, was coming to a conclusion. All Paris had awaited it with breathless excitement, with feverish impatience. No one had been able to attend to his business. The stores were closed, the workshops of the artisans were empty, even in the restaurants and cafes all was still. The cooks had nothing to do and let the fire go out, for it seemed as if all Paris had lost its appetite, as if nobody had time to eat and in truth on this day paris had no hunger for food that could satisfy the body the city was hungry only for news it longed for food which would satisfy its curiosity and the news which would appease its craving was to come from the court-room of the prison it was to that quarter that paris looked for the stilling of its hunger the satisfying of its desires the judges were assembled in the hall of the prison to pronounce the decisive sentence in the necklace trial, and to announce to all France, yes, all Europe, whether the Queen of France was innocent in the eyes of God and his representatives on earth, or whether a shade of suspicion was thenceforth to rest upon that lofty brow. At a very early hour of the morning, half-past five, the judges of the High Court of Parliament, forty-nine in number, gathered at the council-room in order to pronounce sentence. At the same early hour an immense, closely thronged crowd gathered in the broad square in front of the prison, and gazed in breathless expectation at the great gate of the building, hoping every minute that the judges would come out and that they should learn the sentence. But the day wore on, and still the gates remained shut. No news came from the council-room to enlighten the curiosity of the crowd that filled the square in the adjacent streets. Here and there the people began to complain, and loud voices were heard grumbling at the protracted delay, the long deliberation of the judges. Here and there faces were seen full of scornful defiance, full of laughing malice, working their way through the crowd, and now and then dropping stinging words, which provoked to still greater impatience. All the orators of the clubs and of the secret societies were there among the crowd. All the secret and open enemies of the queen had sent their instruments thither to work upon the people with poisonous words and mocking observations, and to turn public opinion in advance against the queen, even in case the judges did not condemn her. That is, if they did not declare the cardinal innocent of conspiracy against the sovereign and contempt of the majesty of the queen. It was known that in his resume the attorney-general had alluded to the punishment of the cardinal. That was the only news which had worked its way out of the courtroom. Some favored journalist or some friend of the queen had heard this. It spread like the wind all over Paris, and in thousands upon thousands of copies the words of the attorney-general were distributed. His address purported to run as follows that Cardinal de Rohan is indicted on the accusation, and must answer the Parliament and the Attorney-General respecting the following charges, of audaciously mixing himself up with the affairs of the necklace, and still more audaciously in supposing that the Queen would make an appointment with him by night, 
and that for this he would ask the pardon of the king and the queen in the presence of the whole court. Further, the cardinal is enjoined to lay down his office as grand almoner within a certain time, to remove to a certain distance from the royal residence, and not to visit the places where the royal family may be living, and lastly, to remain in prison till the completed termination of the trial. The friends and dependents of the cardinal, the enemies and persecutors of the queen, received this decision of the attorney-general with vexation and anger. They found fault with the servility of the man who would suffer the law to bow before the throne. They made dishonorable remarks and calumnious innuendos about the queen who, with her coquetry and the amount received from the jewels, had gained over the judges and who would, perhaps, have appointed a rendezvous with every one of them in order to gain him over to her side. "'Even if the judges clear her,' cried the sharp voice of Marat from the heart of the crowd, "'the people will pass sentence upon her. The people are always right. The people cannot be bribed. They are like God in this. And the people will not disown their verdict before the beautiful eyes and the seductive smiles of the Austrian woman. The people will not be made fools of. They will not believe in the story of the counterfeited letters and the forged signature. No, shouted the crowd, laughing in derision. We will not believe it. The queen wrote the letters. Her majesty understands how to write love letters. The queen loves to have a hand in all kinds of nonsense, thundered the brewer century in another group. She wanted to see whether a pretty girl from the street could play the part of the Queen of France, and at the same time she wanted to avenge herself upon the cardinal because she knew that he once found fault with her before her mother the empress, on account of her light and disreputable behavior, and the bad manners which, as the dauphiness, she would introduce into this court. Since then she has, with her glances, her smiles, and her apparent anger, so worked upon the cardinal as to make him fall over ears in love with the beautiful pouting queen. And that was just what she wanted, for now she could avenge herself. She appointed a rendezvous with the cardinal, and while she secretly looked on the scene in the thicket, she allowed the pretty Mademoiselle Olivier to play her part. And you see that it is not such a difficult thing to represent a queen— for Mademoiselle Olivier performed her part so well that the cardinal was deceived and took a girl from the streets to be the queen of France. Oh, better times are coming! Better times are coming! cried Simon the cobbler, who was close by, with his coarse laugh. The cardinal took a girl from the streets for the queen of France. But wait a little, and we shall see the time when she will have to sweep the streets with a broom, that the noble people may walk across with dry feet. In the loud laugh with which the crowd greeted this remark of the cobbler was mingled one single cry of anger, which, however, was overborne by the rough merriment of the mass. It came from the lips of a man in simple citizen's costume, who had plunged into the mob and worked his way forward with strong arms, in order to reach a place as near as possible to the entrance door of the prison and to be among the first to learn the impending sentence. No one, as just said, had heard this cry. No one had troubled himself about this young man, with the bold, defiant face, who, with shrugged shoulders, was listening to the malicious speeches which were uttered all around him, and who replied to them all with flaming looks of anger, pressing his lips closely together in order to hold back the words which could hardly be suppressed. 
he succeeded at last in reaching the very door of the prison and stood directing his eyes thither with gloomy looks of curiosity his whole soul lay in this look he heard nothing of the mocking speeches which echoed around him he saw nothing of what took place about him he saw only this fatal door he only heard the noises which proceeded from within the prison at last after long waiting and when the sun had set the door opened a little and a man came out the people who at his appearance had broken into a loud cry of delight were silent when it was seen that it was not the officer who would announce the verdict with his sternatorian voice but that it was only one of the ordinary servants of the court who had been keeping watch at the outer gate this man ascended with an indifferent air the steps of the staircase and to the loud questions which were hurled at him by the crowd whether the cardinal were declared innocent he answered quietly i do not know but i think the officer will soon make his appearance my time is up and i am going home for i am half dead with hunger and thirst let the poor hungry man go through cried the young man pressing up to him only see how exhausted he is come old fellow give me your hand support yourself on me and he took the man by the arm and with his powerful elbows forced a way through the crowd the people let them pass and directed their attention again to the door of the prison the verdict is pronounced asked the young man softly yes mr toulon he whispered the counsellor gave me just now as i was handing him a glass of water the paper on which he had written it give it to me john but so that nobody can see otherwise they will suspect what the paper contains and they will all grab at it and tear it in bits the servant slid with a quick motion a little folded paper into the hand of the young man who thanked him for it with a nod and a smile and then quickly dropped his arm and forced his way in another direction through the crowd soon thanks to his youth and his skill he had worked through the dense mass then with a flying step he sped through the street next to the square then more swiftly still through the side streets and alleys till he reached the gate that led out to the street of versailles outside of this there was a young man in a blue blouse who in an idle and listless manner was leading a bridled horse up and down the road hello richard come here cried the young man oh mr toulon shouted the lad in the blouse running up with the horse you have come at last mr toulon i have already been waiting eight hours for you i will give you a franc for every hour said mr toulon swinging himself into the saddle now go home richard and greet my sweetheart if you see her he gave his horse a smart stroke pressed the spurs into his flanks and the powerful creature sped like an arrow from a bow along the road to versailles in versailles too and in the royal palace this day had been awaited with anxious expectations the king after ending his daily duties with his ministers had gone to his workshop in order to work with his locksmith gerard upon a new lock whose skilful construction was an invention of the king the queen too had not left her room the whole day and even her friend the duchess julia de pugnac had not been able to cheer up the queen by her pleasant talk at last when she saw that all her efforts were vain and that nothing could dissipate the sadness of the queen the duchess had made the proposition to go to trinon and there to call together the circle of her intimate friends but the queen sorrowfully shook her head and gazed at the duchess with a troubled look you speak of the circle of my friends she said ah 
the circle of those whom i considered my friends is so rent and broken that scarcely any torn fragments of it remain and i fear to bring them together again for i know that what once is broken cannot be mended again and so does your majesty not believe in your friends any more asked the duchess reproachfully do you doubt us do you doubt me i do not doubt you all and before all things else not you said marie antoinette with a lingering tender look i only doubt the possibility of a queen's having faithful friends i always forgot when i was with my friends that i was the queen but they never forgot it madame they ought never to forget it replied the duchess softly with all their love for your majesty your friends ought never to forget that reverence is due you as much as love and subjection as much as friendship they ought never to make themselves your majesty's equals and if your majesty in the grace of your fair and gentle heart designs to condescend to us and make yourself like us yet we ought never to be so thoughtless as to raise ourselves to you and want to make ourselves the equals of our queen oh julia you pain me you pain me unspeakably sighed marie antoinette pressing her hand to her heart as if she wanted to keep back the tears which would mount into her eyes your majesty knows continued the duchess with her gentle and yet troubling quiet manner your majesty knows how modestly i make use of the great confidence which you most graciously bestow upon me how seldom and how trembling my lips venture to utter the dear name of my queen of whom i may rightly talk only in intimate converse with your exalted mother and your royal husband your majesty knows further oh i know it all all interrupted the queen sadly i know that it is not the part of a queen to be happy to love to be loved to have friends i know that you all whom i have so tenderly loved feel yourself more terrified than benefited i know that with this confession happiness has withdrawn from me i look into the future and see the dark clouds which are descending and threatening us with a tempest i see all i have no illusions more the fair days are all past the sunshine of trinon and the fragrance of its flowers and will your majesty not go there to-day asked the duchess it is such beautiful weather the sun shines so splendidly and we shall have such a glorious sunset a glorious sunset repeated marie antoinette with a bitter smile a queen is at least allowed to see the sun go down etiquette has not forbidden a queen to see the sunset and night approach but the poor creature is not allowed to see the sun rise and rejoice in the beauty of the dawn i have once since i was a queen seen the sun rise and all the world cried murder and counted it a crime and all france laughed at the epigrams and jests with which my friends punished me for the crime that the queen of france with her court had seen the sun rise and now you want to allow me to see it set but i will not i will not look at this sad spectacle of coming night in me it is night and i feel the storms which are drawing nigh go julia leave me alone for you can see that there is nothing to be done with me to-day i cannot laugh i cannot be merry go for my sadness might infect you and that would make me doubly sad the duchess did not reply she only made a deep reverence and went with a light inaudible step over the carpet to the door the queen's face had been turned away 
but as the light sound of the door struck her ear, she turned quickly around and saw that she was alone. "'She has left me! She has really gone!' sighed the queen bitterly. "'Oh, she is like all the rest. She never loved me.' "'But who does love me?' asked she in despair. "'Who is there in the world that loves me and forgets that I am the queen?' my god my heart cries for love yearns for friendship and has never found them and they make this yearning of mine a crime they accuse me that i have a heart oh my god have pity upon me veil at least my eyes that i may not see the faithlessness of my friends sustain at least my faith in the friendship of my julia let me not have the bitterness of feeling that i am alone inconsolably alone she pressed her hands before her face and sank upon a chair, and sat long there, motionless and wholly given over to her sad, bitter feelings. After a long time she let her hands fall from her face and looked around with a pained, confused look. The sun had gone down, and it began to grow dark, and Marie Antoinette shuddered within herself. "'By this time the sentence has been pronounced,' she muttered softly. By this time it is known whether the Queen of France can be slandered and insulted with impunity. Oh, if I only could be sure. Do not Champon say. I will go to Champon. And the Queen rose quickly, went with a decisive step out of her cabinet, then through the toilet room close by, and opened the door which led to the chamber of her first lady-in-waiting, Madame de Champon. Madame de Champon stood at the window and gazed with such a look of intense expectation out into the twilight that she did not notice the entrance of the queen till the latter called her loudly by name. "'The queen!' cried she, drawing back terrified from the window. "'The queen! And here in my room!' Marie Antoinette made a movement of impatience. "'You want to say that it is not becoming for a queen to enter the room of her trusted waiting-maid.' and that it is against etiquette. I know that indeed. But these are days, my good Champon, when etiquette has no power over us, and when, behind the royal purple, the poor human heart in all its need comes into the foreground. This is such a day for me, and as I know you are true, I have come to you. Did you not tell me, Champon, that you should receive the news as soon as the sentence was pronounced? Yes, Your Majesty. I do hope to— and that is the reason why I am standing at the window looking for my messenger. How curious, said the queen thoughtfully. They call me queen of France, and yet I have no one who hastens to give me news of this important affair, while my waiting-maid has devoted friends, who do for her what no one does for the queen. I beg your majesty's pardon, answered Madame de Champon, smiling. What they do to-day for me, they do only because I am the waiting-maid of the queen. I was yesterday at Councillor Bougord's in order to pay my respects to the family after a long interval, for his wife is a cousin of mine. That means, said the queen with a slight smile, that you went there, not to visit your cousin, the councillor's wife, but to visit the councillor himself. Now confess, my good Champon, you wanted to do a little bribery. Well, I confess to your majesty— I wanted to see if it was really true that Councillor Bougaud had gone over to the enemy. Your Majesty knows that Madame de Morson had visited all the councillors and adjured them by God and the Holy Church 
not to condemn the cardinal, but to declare him innocent. That is, they will free the cardinal that I may be condemned, said the queen angrily, for to free him is the same as to accuse me and have my honour tarnished. That was what I was saying to my cousin, Councillor Bougold, and happily I found supporters in his own family. Oh, I assure your majesty that in his family there are those who are devoted, heart and soul, to your majesty. Who are these persons? asked the queen. Name them to me, that in my sad hours I may remember them. There is, in the first place, the daughter of the councillor, the pretty Margot, who is so enthusiastic for your majesty that she saves a part of her meagre pocket-money that she may ride over to Versailles at every great festival to see your majesty. And then particularly there is the lover of this little person, a young man named Toulon, a gifted, fine young fellow, who almost worships your majesty. He is the one who promised me to bring news at once after the sentence is pronounced, and it is more owing to his eloquence than to mine that Councillor Bougol saw the necessity of giving his vote against the cardinal and putting himself on the right side. At this instant the door which led into the antechamber was hastily flung open, and a lackey entered. "'The gentleman whom you expected has just arrived,' he announced. "'It is Mr. Toulon,' whispered Madame de Champon to the Queen. "'He brings the sentence. "'Tell the gentleman,' she then said aloud to the lackey, "'to wait a moment in the antechamber. "'I will receive him directly.' "'Go, I beg your majesty,' she continued as the lackey withdrew, I beg your majesty to graciously allow me to receive the young man here. That is to say, my dear Champon, said the queen, smiling, to vacate the premises and leave the apartment. But I am not at all inclined to. I prefer to remain here. I want to see this young man of whom you say that he is such a faithful friend, and then I should like to know the news as soon as possible that he brings. See here the chimney screen is much taller than I, and if I go behind the young man will have no suspicion of my presence, especially as it is dark. Now let him come in. I am most eager to hear the news. The queen quickly stepped behind the high screen, and Madame Champon opened the door of the antechamber. Come in, Mr. Toulon, she cried, and at once there appeared at the open door the tall, powerful figure of the young man. His cheeks were heated with the quick ride, his eyes glowed, and his breathing was rapid and hard. Madame Champon extended her hand to him and greeted him with a friendly smile. "'So you have kept your word, Mr. Toulon,' she said. "'You bring me the news of the court's decision?' "'Yes, madame, I do,' he answered softly, and with a touch of sadness. "'I am only sorry that you have had to wait so long, but it is not my fault. It was striking eight from the tower of Saint-Jacques when I received the news.' Eight answered Madame de Champon, looking at the clock. It is now scarcely nine. You do not mean to say that you have ridden the eighteen miles from Paris to Versailles in an hour? I have done it, and I assure you that is nothing wonderful. I had four fresh horses stationed along the road, and they were good ones. I fancied myself sometimes a bird flying through the air, and it seems to me now as if I had flown. I beg your pardon if I sit down in your presence, for my feet tremble a little. "'Do sit down, my dear young friend,' cried Champon, and she hastened herself to place an easy-chair for the young man. "'Only an instant,' he said, sinking into it. "'But believe me, it is not the quick ride that makes my feet tremble, but joy and excitement. 
I shall perhaps have the pleasure to have done the Queen a little service, for you told me that it would be very important for Her Majesty to learn the verdict as quickly as possible, and no one has got here before me, has there? No, my friend, the Queen will learn the news first through your means, and I shall say to Her Majesty that I have learned it through you. No, madame, he cried quickly, no, I would much rather you do not tell the Queen, for who knows whether the news is good or whether it would not trouble the noble heart of the Queen, and then my name, if she should learn it, would only be disagreeable to her, rather that she should never hear it than that it should be connected with unpleasant associations to her. Then you do not know what the sentence is, replied Champagne, astonished. Have you come to bring me the sentence, and yet do not know yourself what it is? I do not know what it is, madame. The counsellor, the father of my sweetheart, has sent it by me in writing, and I have not allowed myself to take time to read it. Perhaps, too, I was too cowardly for it, for if I had seen that it contained anything that would trouble the queen, I should not have had courage to come here and deliver the paper to you. So I did not read it, and thought only of this— that I might perhaps save the Queen a quarter of an hour's disquiet and anxious expectation. Here, madame, is the paper which contains the sentence. Take it to Her Majesty, and may the God of Justice grant that it contain nothing which may trouble the Queen. He stood up and handed Madame de Champon a paper. And now, madame, he continued, allow me to retire, that I may return to Paris, for my sweetheart is expecting me, and besides, they are expecting some disturbance in the city. I must go, therefore, to protect my house. Go, my young friend, said Madame de Champon, warmly pressing his hand. Receive my heartiest thanks for your devotion, and be sure the Queen shall hear of it. Farewell, farewell. No, cried Marie Antoinette, emerging from behind the screen with a laugh. No, do not go, sir. "'Remain to receive your queen's thanks for the disinterested zeal which you have displayed for me this day.' "'The queen!' whispered Toulon, turning pale. "'The queen!' And falling upon his knee, he looked at the queen with such an expression of rapture and admiration that Marie Antoinette was touched. "'I have much to thank you for, Mr. Toulon,' she said. "'Not merely that you are the bearer of important news.' I thank you besides for convincing me that the Queen of France has faithful and devoted friends, and to know this is so cheering to me that even if you bring me bad news, my sorrow will be softened by this knowledge. I thank you again, Mr. Toulon. Toulon perceived that the Queen was dismissing him. He stood up and retreated to the door, his eyes fixed on the Queen, and then— after opening the door, he sank, as it were, overcome by the storm of his emotions, a second time upon his knee, and folding his hands, raised his great, beaming eyes to heaven. "'God in heaven,' he said loudly and solemnly, "'I thank thee for the joy of this hour. From this moment I devote myself to the service of my queen. She shall henceforth be the divinity whom I serve, and to whom I will, if I can avail anything, freely offer my blood and life.' This I swear, and God and the Queen have heard my oath. And without casting another glance at the Queen, without saluting her, Toulon rose and softly left the room, tightly closing the door after him. Singular, murmured the Queen. Really singular, 
when he took the oath a shudder passed through my soul and something seemed to say to me that i should sometime be very unhappy and that this young man should then be near me your majesty is excited to-day and so everything seems to have a sad meaning said madame de champon softly but the sentence the sentence cried the queen give me the paper i will read it myself madame de champon hesitated would your majesty not prefer to receive it in the presence of the king and have it read by his majesty no no champon if it is favorable i shall have the pleasure in carrying the good news to the king if it is unfavorable then i can collect myself before i see him but it is so dark here now that it will be impossible to read writing you are right let us go into my sitting-room said the queen the candles must be lighted there already come champon since i am indebted to you for this early message you shall be the first to learn it come champon go with me with a quick step the queen returned to her apartments and entered her sitting-room followed by madame de champon whose countenance was filled with sad forebodings the queen was right the candles had already been lighted in her apartments and diffused a light like that of day throughout her large sitting-room in the little porcelain cabinet however there was a milder light as marie antoinette liked to have it when she was alone and sans ceremonial the candles on the main chandelier were not lighted and on the table of severe china and rosewood which stood before the divan were two silver candlesticks each with two wax candles these four were the only lights in the apartment now champon said the queen sinking into the armchair which stood before the table near the divan now give me the paper but no you better read it to me but exactly as it stands you promise me that your majesty has commanded and i must obey said champon bowing read read urged marie antoinette let me know the sentence madame de champon unfolded the paper and went nearer to the light in order to see better marie antoinette leaned forward folded both hands in her lap and looked at champon with an expression of eager expectation read read she repeated with trembling lips madame de champon bowed and read first the writing the basis of the trial the note and signatures are declared to be forged in imitation of the queen's hand second count Lamont is sentenced in contumation to the galleys for life third the woman Lamont to be whipped marked on both shoulders with the letter o and to be confined for life fourth routeau de valet to be banished for life from france fifth mademoiselle olivier is discharged sixth the lord cardinal well cried the queen passionately why do you stammer why do you tremble he has been discharged i know it already for we are already at the names of the acquitted read on champon and madame de champon read on the lord cardinal is acquitted from every charge and is allowed to publish this acquittal acquitted cried the queen springing from her seat acquitted oh champon what i feared is true 
the queen of france has become the victim of cabals and intrigues the queen of france in her honour dignity and virtue is injured and wounded by one of her own subjects and there is no punishment for him he is free pity me champon but no on the contrary i pity you i pity france if i can have no impartial judges in a matter which darkens my character what can you what can all others hope for when you are tried in a manner which touches your happiness and honour i am sad sad in my inmost soul and it seems to me as if this instant were to overshadow my whole life as if the shades of night had fallen upon me and what is that did you blow out the light champon your majesty sees that i am standing entirely away from the lights but only see cried the queen one of the candles is put out it is true said madame de chopin looking at the light over which a bluish cloud was yet hovering the light is put out but if your majesty allows me i she was silent and her bearing assumed the appearance of amazement and horror the candle which had been burning in the other arm of the candlestick went out like the one before the queen said not a word she gazed with pale lips and wide-open eyes at both the lights the last spark of which had just disappeared will your majesty allow me to light the candles again asked madame de champon extending her hand to the candlestick but the queen held her hand fast let them be she whispered i want to see whether both the other lights suddenly she was convulsed and rising slowly from her armchair pointed with silent amazement at the second candlestick one of the other two lights had gone out only one was now burning and dark shadows filled the cabinet the one light faintly illumined only the centre and shone with its glare upon the pale horrified face of the queen champon she whispered raising her arm and pointing at the single light which remained burning if this fourth light goes out like the other three it is a bad omen for me and forebodes the approach of misfortune at this instant the light flared up and illumined the room more distinctly then its flame began to die away one flare more and this light went out and a deep darkness reigned in the cabinet the queen uttered a loud piercing cry and sank in a swoon End of chapter 7 Recording by Maggie Travers